Niti ningobuya kwe zim dola. Now, uh, some of the tweets coming through here on uh, at uh, Metro FMSA. Uh, Tafmas there. Tafmas one saying the former single currency, the Zimbabwean dollar, was abandoned because of hyperinflation. So how is the use of a new single currency going to prevent hyperinflation when the fundamentals remain the same, if not much worse? And I can uh, certainly share that sentiment uh, that uh, I, I must say I'm, I'm very, very unsettled. Uh, to hear uh, about this particular decision. Many people on Twitter, of course, even screenshotting the uh, Gazette uh, or that injunction coming through from the Zimbabwean government earlier on today. Uh, also some interviews of Mtuli Ngube there saying, hey, look, if you've got dollars in your pocket, uh, that's your money. Um, but uh, if you're wanting to buy anything, be it uh, in Harare, in Kwekwe, in Blawayo, uh, or uh, anywhere, uh, I guess, uh, in uh, the uh, territory of Zimbabwe, uh, you are going to have to convert... Uh, those uh, Zimbabwean dollars, British pounds, South African rand or Botswana pula uh, for Zimbabwean dollar. And uh, we certainly haven't seen the Zimbabwean dollar on any of the ticker tapes in many, 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 many years. I think it's uh, probably over a decade since uh, the uh, Zimbabwean dollar was taken out of commission. And one wonders uh, where it's going to trade in relation to some of the other currencies. Uh, uh, If indeed, of course, you're heading to Zimbabwe in the next a uh, few days or in the next few weeks or so, uh, uh, armed with South African rand. Uh, how much, uh, uh, by way of Zimbabwean dollars, are you going to get for every rand? And uh, will that also be a peg uh, that is determined by uh, the uh, either the uh, Reserve Bank of Zimbabwe, the RBZ, or by the uh, Department of Finance? Uh, not sure about that, but I think the question that uh, Tafmas is speaking to, uh, especially as it relates to the fundamentals of the Zimbabwean economy, is really about the productive base of Zimbabwe. Uh, and uh, what goods, I guess, they are taking into export markets in order to get foreign exchange, which, uh, of course, has extensive implications on uh, uh, the strength of their own currency as they begin to float it. But um, if uh, the productive base in Zimbabwe doesn't recover from its decimation in the last few decades or so, uh, then it's going to be very difficult, I guess, to foresee how it's going to be able to navigate its way outside of hyperinflation, absent of that kind of investment and absent of uh, the uh, mineral or tobacco or other exports that that country has uh, continued to send uh, to uh, all corners of the world. And uh, I certainly uh, hold faith and hold hope uh, with uh, the people of uh, uh, Zimbabwe, Elegam uh, Ziligazi, and uh, certainly hope that uh, they are going to be able to find uh, some solace there and uh, a way out of uh, some of the uh, inflationary and monetary policy and currency policy challenges. I must say, if... Uh, indeed, uh, Bendingo, Professor, I would probably give many of my students a case study over the last two decades or so of uh, some of the monetary policy experiments that the Zimbabwean government has undertaken. I mean, even uh, the bond notes and the pegging dollar to, uh, one-to-one with the dollar, right through to, of course, uh, the uh, use of, uh, uh, what is it, the RBGTS dollar. And now, of course, the suspension of uh, the multi-currency system. And uh, I must say it speaks, uh, it must certainly be... Uh, exciting empirical work to take a look at what impact that has had on a country that has uh, been faced with the kind of sanctions, the decimation of its um, uh, secondary and uh, primary industry, and of course uh, runaway 
unemployment and uh, all of those major challenges. I'd still love to hear from you. Give us a ring here on 089-110-3377, I'm already joined in studio by uh, Philem uh, Ho. He's a CEO at Auto Boys and a vice chairperson of the Right to Repair, a, a Section 21 nonprofit company uh, fo- formed by the uh, Moto Industry Workshop Association. I'm also going to be joined on the line by Mike Mabasa, Executive Director and CEO at NAMSA, which is the National Association for Automotive Manufacturers of South Africa. And we're asking whether or not uh, many of these vehicle manufacturers and retailers should be typically punishing us uh, for avoiding their warranties by choosing to go to uh, repair centers, service centers, and even buy parts where we want to. If you're a motorist, you don't want to miss this one. 13 minutes now it is after 8 p.m. And uh, after hearing over 80 stakeholder viewpoints regarding what might be viewed as anti-competitive behavior in the auto sector, the Competition Commission has decided to take a draft motor code one step further by seeking to implement it in law. Now, currently, South African owners of new cars are locked into using a vehicle manufacturer's service centers, repair shops and parts in embedded motor and service plans. Now, if uh, SA new car owners decide to use an uh, independent service or repair provider of their own choice, uh, these uh, manufacturers and retailers typically punish them by avoiding their warranties in uh, what in essence is an anti-competitive and a highly unfair practice. And uh, to get an understanding of this, I'm joined here in studio by Philem Ho. He's the CEO of Auto Boys and also the Vice Chair of uh, Right to Repair. And he'll tell us shortly uh, what a Right to Repair is. Phil, good evening to you and thank you so much for joining us. Good evening. Thank you for having us. Also joined on the line by uh, uh, Mike Mabasa, Executive Director and CEO at the National Association of Auto Manufacturers of South Africa, NAMSA. And Dade, Mike, good evening to you and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Ayabonga. Uh, not Mike, let me start off with you. Maybe uh, you'll give us some of the context here. Now, uh, I think many of our listeners would be familiar with uh, many of the service and motor plans uh, that they often undertake when they buy new vehicles. And, and I'd love to hear from you, I guess, the rationale uh, from the uh, automotive manufacturer's perspective of why they have uh, these kind of, uh, uh, I guess, uh, you know, agreements in place. And uh, moreover, uh, what, what becomes the issue here when people go and use other uh, service providers and uh, why does that have an impact on uh, their warranties, effectively voiding those? Yeah, look, let me simplify it very quickly, Ayabongo, without uh, making it uh, too complicated okay, sure. because it can be a highly technical issue. Um, when you buy a new car, obviously you've got a manual in your car uh, that shows you or that uh, tells you how the, that particular car uh, is expected to run and uh, how often you need to service it mm. uh, and so on and so forth. Our view as the manufacturers is that, you know, when you enter into an agreement with any of our uh, brand owners, you then get into uh, an environment where we can be able to guarantee uh, the life of that particular vehicle for a particular period. Um, so that we can be able to make sure that uh, the um, components that you use in servicing your car uh, are the right components, uh, and you are also getting an advantage of uh, getting a proper, uh, well-trained individuals who understand uh, how that particular vehicle needs to behave at least for is the there first, is the um, assumption that they might that you know similarly trained people or similar expertise wouldn't rest elsewhere outside of your own dealer network or, or, or service or repair network? 
Well, there are. I mean, we're not saying that we don't have uh, people who are qualified outside the network. There are certainly a lot of people who are qualified. Mm. Uh, but we need to obviously make sure that uh, we can be able to give our customers uh, that surety and obviously uh, that uh, assurance that uh, when you use the network, you are able to uh, manage this in a, in a, in a, in a much uh, controlled in a, in a much controlled environment. And, and we say this, Ayabonga, because we have received quite a lot of um, uh, obviously uh, complaints from our customers themselves, many of whom uh, who have waived. Because remember, uh, there are those customers who choose not to take up uh, the in-warranty uh, option. Mm. And they waive. They waive uh, that particular option and they choose to service their cars. And in so doing, they waive their warranty as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, mm. and, and, and what we find is that many of those who have waived, uh, they actually service their, their vehicles elsewhere. Mm. And, and unfortunately, they have numerous uh, challenges uh, with that particular arrangement. And, uh, and they come back uh, to the network to now request us uh, to fix the cars that have been, uh, unfortunately, dealt with in a okay. different way. Okay. And I think what we're saying is that we need to obviously have a way to be able to manage. Uh, because South Africa, we have not really uh, created an environment where we can be able to adequately, particularly our black-owned uh, uh, dealerships, and, and also the workshops uh, so that we can be able to begin to train them, provide them with the necessary mm. equipment, because also technology is changing very quickly. Sure. Many of, of um, you know, if you look at, for an example, the brain of, the, of, of, of a car, mm. the brain of a car has changed quite significantly. And many of uh, these companies that are servicing outside the network uh, do not have the necessary equipment to be able to manage the new innovation okay. that is in, in the vehicle. Let's, let's pause then, Dr. Mike. Uh, Phil, what is so wrong with, uh, I guess, the issues here that uh, uh, Dr. Mike is raising? Saying, look, I mean, we, we have a responsibility to our own uh, uh, customers. And, of course, uh, uh, it becomes difficult the moment they leave the tent because, uh, you know, the level of service and, of course, expertise in an ever-shifting environment uh, becomes something that they can't monitor. And that's why they have these things in place. No, I understand that. I think he, he makes a good point. Um, the first thing I would say is, um, in terms of right to repair, we are an organization that advocates freedom of choice mm. and um, the freedom to compete. Yeah. Okay, so when Mike spoke about uh, people waiving their warranty, I don't think that's common practice. Okay, and I think certainly as a single consumer mm. to go into a dealership and say, listen, I don't want them embedded motor plan. Mm. They won't do that. Large fleets? Possibly. Okay, so so um, we're saying, well, that's great. Uh, be transparent about it yep. because the cost of that warranty in other countries, it's published. Mm. And if you choose to buy the warranty and you choose to service your vehicle within the network, that's fantastic because they have a service offering um, that is a is that that's a solid one. Mm. But what we're saying fundamentally is that you should have the right to choose. Mm. Okay, and as much as and I, what are you saying in relation to the warranty? If indeed, me? if if I so choose, right. to go outside the network, right? Uh, what is your view on uh, that warranty being voided in that instance? Well, I think most, uh, well, certainly all independent, all credible, and credible is important. Mm. Uh, independent repair shops will carry a warranty. Mm. But what is, I think, slightly unfair 
would be um, the voiding of the complete warranty on, on, on the vehicle. Let's say I changed the brake pads, and then the next day the radiator went. Mm. Okay, um, just because I changed the brake pads in a non-dealership um, repair shop, I don't think it's quite fair that they waive the warranty on the radiator per se. Mm, okay, mm. and there is legislation in the states that prevents uh, companies from doing that because these issues have been brought up globally. Mm. All right, and and just like these issues have been brought up in America and in and in Europe, and legislation has been specifically passed to protect the consumer. Mm. And what we're saying is, I think South Africa being where we are now uh, economically. Um, we understand that the economic concentration is, is far, far, far too much. Sure, sure. And All it's right. one of the key structural issues that we continue it is. to face. Phil, let's pause there on the other side. I uh, just need to quickly take a, a quick spot break. And we'll continue with this conversation because I, I also do want us uh, as well in Dade Mike to, to speak about, I guess, the pervasive and unintended impact or consequence of uh, yeah. us having this kind of a state of play here. And uh, more importantly, the limitations and ba- high barriers to entry it creates for some uh, repair and service operations and even parts providers uh, who are yeah. wanting, of course, to access the same pool of customers uh, that many of your members face. And I'd also love to hear from you. Give me a ring on zero eight nine double one zero double three double seven. Would you like and uh, would you, given a context, of course, where you are buying a car tomorrow, if indeed... You were armed, uh, as as is always said, with uh, full information, and you knew uh, there's somebody outside of, uh, I guess, the service plan that's been provided by the retailer in this instance. Would you go out there? And uh, if so, give me a ring and let me know what considerations would go into that decision. You tuned into Metro FM Talk. Twenty-three minutes now. It is after eight p.m. Continue our conversation here, and uh, it's our segment. We replace all manner of conversations under the microscope. And today we're taking a look at uh, the uh, after-sales industry uh, when it comes uh, to the cars that we drive. And uh, I'm in conversation with Mike Mabasa, Executive Director and CEO at the National Association of Automotive Manufacturers of South Africa, NAMSA. Also joined by CEO of Auto Boys and Vice Chair of the Right to Repair. A Section 21 non-profit company formed by the Motor Industry Workshop Association. We're talking about, uh, I guess, uh, some of these embedded motor and service plans and uh, the impact that these have uh, on uh, a competitive after-sales ecosystem here. And I guess, Phil, that's, that for me is the main question here for me. Uh, what impact does uh, being locked in, if I can put it that way, into some of these uh, motor and service plans what uh, impact uh, from a com- competition perspective and, of course, from a barriers-to-entry perspective for many of the smaller guys, what impact does that have? Well, if you're locked in, you have no access. So it's, it's basically a monopoly. All right, and uh, I see that you studied economics and you know that when the monopolies, the price point invariably is non-competitive. Mm. Okay, so... Um, most of these motor plans, uh, they're, they're, they're either 100 kil- kilometers uh, or three years. So effectively, that life cycle of the vehicle is unavailable to the independent aftermarket for mm. three years. Mm. Okay, so it's, there's actually no choice, uh, or you risk losing your warranty. Okay, and that's effectively... Um, so if you take a look at the structure of uh, you know, the independent aftermarket, most of the vehicles those service are... Once these vehicles fall out of the motor plan, mm. you'll see a lot of a lot of drivers actually go to their independent aftermarket workshop. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and because of price. Okay. Okay. So mm. it, it's it's um, so, so. So when you compare the prices of, uh, I guess, some of the large name brand uh, internal service shops and repair shops, and you compare the cost of those motor and service plans 
to what I guess somebody would in comparably be receiving in the open market. Well, what, what are you finding? Well, I mean, we, we don't know because the price of the motor plan is not published. Okay. Right. So you actually don't know how much of the vehicle price is made up of the motor plan. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're saying. You know, um, let there be some transparency about that and let there be mm-hmm. choice around that. And if the consumer chooses to purchase the motor plan, that's fantastic. We yeah. are all for free competition. And a lot of the dealerships offer great service, just like a lot of the independent aftermarket workshops also offer great service. Mm. And one point I really, really wanted to, to pick up on uh, that Mike mentioned was uh, training. Sure. The vehicle is changing mm. right, uh, massively. And like you said, the computer, the brain of the vehicle um, is, is changing at an incredible pace. Okay. And one of the things that we are concerned about in terms of supporting small and media enterprises is the fact that these enterprises, they are not upskilled. Mm. So uh, on our side, this is not a case of us bashing uh, the vehicle manager. Mm. In fact, it's far from sure. it. I think the industry needs to pull together. I don't think the industry needs to mm. work together. And then we want to create a healthy economy. We need to train yeah. uh, emerging and companies. I guess, and I guess, full. I mean, if I'm running a repair shop all the way in Mapetla, for instance, yes. here in Soweto, yes. there's really no incentive for me to invest in capability that allows me to uh, uh, be able to operate in a computer box of some of these high-end German vehicles if I'm really not going to get a pipeline of work from some of the consumers who drive those vehicles. Well, so, that's yeah. absolutely true. Mm. But beyond that, you won't even get access to be able to diagnose the fault codes. And that's another thing that Right to Repair does. We also, um, you know, obviously, instead of advocating, uh, in addition to advocating for freedom of choice, mm. we also advocate for free, the free sharing information and sure. training. Okay, because those are critical issues that is going to build a healthy, well-diversified, non-concentrated yeah. economy. Okay, let's pause there. Dada Mike, uh, I'd like to bring you in here. I mean, uh, some of your own views and uh, perspectives on on some of these issues. Uh, in yeah. particular, of course, the impact on consumers of uh, what, uh, certainly but from the picture that Phil is painting, is a clearly uh, uncompetitive environment, uh, which, of course, leads uh, not only to uncompetitive pricing, but we really don't know if it does because uh, there really isn't any transparency on pricing or uh, a distinct, I guess, sort of costing of saying, look, this is how much this service plan over uh, a 100,000 kilometer life cycle or even a three to five year cycle of a vehicle would uh, ordinarily cost the consumer. And uh, therefore, we don't have any basis to compare with uh, what's happening in the independent open market. Let's create some context, because I think context is very important in a conversation like this one. Uh, It is important for your listeners to understand that in South Africa, We've got 49 different brands of vehicles on our roads today. Out of those 49 brands that we have, we have 3,716 different models that are running on our roads today. And I'll give you an example. So a brand, for example, like BMW, will have an X1, X2, X3, X4, X5, X6, and now X7. Uh, and then within the X7 band, they would have about uh, four or five different models within that particular brand. Mm. Now, the challenge we have is that many of uh, the organizations that want us to move all these vehicles for, uh, for them to be serviced is that we have a challenge of components. Because in order for us to, to be able to service 3,716 different cars that are running on our roads, you need to be able to have, because many of them are also not specializing 
on a particular brand. So you're not going to walk into a workshop that says we are only servicing uh, BMW vehicles. You, many of these workshops are saying we, we are Tata Zonke. We, 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 we are going to f- uh, fix everything from, mm. a, from a Suzuki up until a Porsche. Sure. And, 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 and the point we're making is that you need to be able to be careful because many of the cars that are ending up in workshops uh, and idling there for more than weeks and weeks and weeks, uh, and customers complain bitterly, it's precisely because the very same workshops that Phil is talking about, many of them do not have the capacity to can be able to make sure that the service that they mm. require, because in some of these vehicles, you require, obviously, parts to be imported. Yes. Uh, and, and, and if you're out of the, the network, obviously, your capacity to can be able to get some of these parts quicker, mm. more effectively, and more cheaper uh, is obviously constrained by a number of economic variables. But, but that Mike, t- just a quick one there, I mean, before you continue. Um, do you not think that how the uh, after-sales market is currently configured uh, yeah. probably doesn't create the right incentives for that kind of upskilling to occur or that kind of specialization or even choice of niching? Uh, that yeah. doesn't necessarily happen because, you know, I mean, I, I might say tomorrow my niche is German cars, but how many of those yeah. German cars are going to come to me new? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And, and I think that is what we need to fix. Uh, and, 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 and I agree with you 100% that we need to be able to create space in order for our customers to have the ability to choose. Mm, so we support okay. the industry. We support that customers should have their, their ability to choose where they want to service their, their vehicles. And we're not opposed to that at all, because at the end of the day, a customer takes the responsibility for their particular vehicles. But what we are saying as, 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 as manufacturers is mm. that if, if, if I'm manufacturing a product, and in my manual, I'm saying to you, if I manufacture this car, in order for this car to run efficiently, you need to be able to do one, two, three, four, five, and I can monitor that. Because remember, we've got service books where we can be able to monitor. We are not even, we have now digitized most of our service books so mm. we can service a car in Soweto or in Kailicha um, and we, we can be able to, to, to follow uh, that particular service record of that vehicle from end to end. So we are saying that we need to create that particular space. And remember, Ayabonga, uh, that in South Africa today, we've got 12 million cars on our roads. Out of the 12 million cars that are registered on our roads today, only 22% of them are in warranty. So the debate we're having today, we are only concerned about the 22% of the, of the 12 million. What about the 78% of vehicles that are not in warranty? And that is the conversation that we need to be able to have, to have and say, how do we bring, and, and, and the people that feel, for example, is, is representing the right to repair movement, how do we collectively begin to say, care is a business opportunity, there are 78% other vehicles that are not covered in warranty, how do we bring those vehicles now into the, into the picture so that we can be able to make sure that those customers are able to also get the service that they deserve uh, across the network, whether they are in a dealership or they are in a workshop mm. or they are elsewhere. So I think that is the debate okay. that we need to have. All right. Let's pause there. And Mike, I've got one of our callers here calling us uh, all the way from uh, Limpopo. Uh, Silo, good evening to you, my brother. How are you? Thanks for taking my call. Shab shab, my brother. Look, who is complaining in terms of the services that are... Uh, 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 is it the customer complaining to the dealership 
about um, for um, their services to the workshop or is the dealership complaining that they are not getting more business because the customers are taking their cars to uh, workshops. Let me give you an example. Um, you know, it, it is not that always true that dealership, um, they are all, always using gene and parts. Mm. I know for a fact, yes, I know for a fact that sometimes they, they showed something in their shop and they quickly go to others. Um, let, let, for example, let's say you, you're servicing your polo. Mm. Um, they go to Goldwacher. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. And then you they can quickly go to Midas or yeah. Goldwacher to get the part. That's the fact. Mike, cannot, Mike because he's representing the big guys, is not going to agree with me in, in, this, in this regard. And secondly, the issue of uh, the dealership, as we speak now, when you go to, um, again, I'll give an example, VW, mm. you go and change your oil. Yes. Yeah? You know how much they charge you? That's a, that's, that's, that's a crazy amount. I think they're going to 1.5, 1.2, just to change your oil. And to change your oil, my brother, it cannot take you in less than 30 minutes. Just mm. the oil. Nice. So, so, yeah. so, 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 the, the 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 pricing of dealership nowadays, the customer cannot sustain. I do know some customers who are staying in Pulukwan, who service their cars to Mukopani, and vice versa. So, you know, the, the, I really, you know, dealership really need to have a consistent and 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 and, and a better price for their customer because. They want them. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they will run out. They will call Silo to say, Silo, come and do my, change, my oil because I'm going to charge him 500 rand. I mean, you're not going to stay with me 30 minutes. Change your oil and it will go. So please, Mike, let me take all of the callers and I'll give you an opportunity to respond to Silo. We'll Thank keep you. him on the line. In that, uh, let me take uh, uh, two other callers uh, so that we can just fit them in and then uh, you can give a response, I guess, to all of them. Louis, you are in uh, Rustenburg in uh, Bokone Bopirima. Good evening to you. Louis. Hello, yes. Louis. Good evening yes, to yes, you, I'm man. There. How are you? Hello? Hi, Louis. Can you hear me? Yes, uh, I was listening to your very great show. Yes, eh? please go ahead, my brother. Thank you so much. Yeah, and then I heard other gentlemen uh, talking about the Tata Zonk. Uh, yes, uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, I've got a problem where I actually got a, a letter from Audi South Africa that my Audi is being recalled. Hmm? Say that yes. again. And, yeah, and then they, they actually told me that it's going to be dangerous to drive the car. It might stop, and then it actually stopped, and then it hit the valves, and it amounted to about 55,000 rand. Mm-hmm. Then I actually fixed the car out of Audi. Then I took it back in with that recording net. If I can tell you one thing, it's standing in Audi Rustenberg for two months. They don't know what's wrong with the car. Yo, yo. And yet, uh, and when you took it to the open market, the the the, the, the Tata people come in. So if Audi, South Africa, with an Audi imported from Germany, telling me that they don't know what's wrong with the car, and then, and then other people actually gonna go. But you know, Tata Zonke actually take uh, advantage of us. Because they say we save everything. Well, Tata Zonke actually go back and losing trust on the very same brand mm. that you actually bought the car from. Did you take it to Tata Zonke? 
Pardon? Did you take it to Otata Zonke? No, 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 no. It, 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 it's an Audi. I called the Audi Friday in Audi in Rustenberg. The sure. was wrong with the car. Wow. Okay. Uh, let's uh, uh, thank you so much uh, for that uh, call, Louis, all the way out there in Bokonebo Pirima in Rustenburg. And uh, we'll uh, certainly get Ndade uh, Mike to respond to that one and uh, Phil as well. KG, you are last caller for this uh, particular slot on this one. You're in Tswane. Good evening to you. Good evening, how are you? I'm good, thanks, KG. All right, thanks, then. Um, yeah, one is this as well. Um, got a new, no, no, second hand Audi A5 mm. for almost two months with me now. Okay. Um, in these two months, I think I spent something like 1,800 rand on oil. On oil? Huh. Yes. Um, I just read up on it. I found out there's uh, in several countries in Europe that there is indeed an oil consumption issue mm. with regards to that specific model. Yeah. But now, their resolution to that, from what I read on the net, was that they gave the guys who own that specific Audi Yes, yes, sorry, my brother. Your line is really bad. Uh, KG, you said they gave everybody who received that particular Audi. Uh, what did they give them? Ah, KG. Uh, let's try and reestablish KG's line. They're certainly on a very, very bad line. Uh, but uh, I'd love to hear that story from KG. And it's uh, quite interesting that Louis in Rustenburg and KG also are both flagging the same uh, auto manufacturer. That there, Mike, let me allow you to respond briefly there while we try and get hold of uh, KG there. Thank you, Ayarong. Let me start with what Silo raised from Limpopo. Mm. You see, Silo makes an assumption that Midas does not sell genuine parts. They do. Many of our uh, parts centers where we um, sell components, uh, these are accredited, reputable uh, parts distributors, and they've got genuine parts that you would find at a Toyota dealership yes. or a Mercedes-Benz dealership and so on. It's like, for example, buying medication. When you go to a pharmacy, this can, you choose whether you want to buy a generic medicine mm. or a prescription uh, medicine. So sure. it's the same thing. So when you go to, in some instances, and, and, and it, it also confirms the point that I was raising earlier on, that we cannot, even our dealerships cannot order all the, all the parts that we have uh, remember that number of 3,716 models yes. that I spoke about. Our, our dealerships cannot accommodate and carry so much parts in their, um, you know, in their infrastructure, in their premises. And that's why they would obviously from time to time uh, work with uh, you know, the distributors around mm. uh, town to be able to supply them with genuine parts that they carry uh, in those particular uh, service centers. I agree that, you see, in South Africa we've got what, what we call the National Credit Act. Yes. If you read that act very carefully. It compares a customer when you get a service. Uh, the dealership has an obligation. And this is a, it's a, it's a legal obligation before they even touch your car to give you a code to tell you this is how much your car is going to cost you. Mm. If, because they, they need to diagnose what the problem is with your car and only then they can be able to give you a code and only after you've given them the authority to fix your car they can they can begin to touch your car. So 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 I want to urge our listeners to be very careful uh, and also be able to insist when they go to dealership because I can't obviously defend each and every dealership sure, because sure. many of them, of course, they are 
those dealerships who may be uh, uh, Mike, taking advantage of our customers. Mike, I need to take a break. I I, no, wait, I need to take a break. I need to take a break and uh, yeah. we'll come back. Sorry. Let me give you an opportunity to respond there because we are agree, but we uh, had to urgently take that break. Yeah. Yes. Look, um, comparing parts and medication is absolutely not correct. Mm. Um, when you go to my dad, let me give an example. Um, body parts. Let's talk. Let, let, we can talk mechanic. We can talk body parts. Mm. If we talk about body parts, uh, let's deal with mechanic. Let me not confuse people. Look, if you go to my dad, it is. It, it, I will disagree with Mike to say the parts that are sell by Midas. I know it's been they have been credited. They are not junior parts for VW. That's the fact. And Bramike, please, I need you to just okay, Selo, Selo, I don't want us to go down this issue of parts. No, 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 uh, if I no, can no, use no, no, no. Yeah. I'm, I'm responding. I'm responding. Yes. To you. Just give me a chance. Okay, sure. Please. So, 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 it, it, it is not because even if you if you go to that shop and then you buy that part, mm. and then VW find out, for example, VW find out no, so you put a a non-genuine part in the car, they will come to turn yeah. around and say no. Okay. It is because of this part because it's not our part. You go, you went out and buy sure, it somewhere. Sure. Uh, another example. Okay, that is a law. Uh, let's give uh, another okay. Mike uh, opportunity there to respond <laughs> as well. Yeah, that is Mike. Yeah, look, uh, Silo knows these things, and 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 he understands. If you're driving a, v- a, a, a VW, you can't go to Midas. You must go to Goldbachen. Goldbachen will have the genuine part that you need for a VW vehicle. And, and there are many other distributors that we have who are selling genuine parts across the country uh, in different uh, cities and in different areas. Um, and it's important that our, our customers and our listeners understand that if you decide and you choose to go and buy a, a genuine part, you've got to go to an accredited distributor of those particular uh, genuine parts. Mm. And even at Midas, if you walk in there, Ask them which part you host uh, that are genuine parts, and they'll be able to assist you, and they'll be able to give you a list of, of, of genuine parts. Uh, but to generalize and say these distributors do not have uh, genuine parts, it, it is an incorrect uh, information because uh, people will no longer go to those distributors because they do have genuine parts. Okay, so, so, so guys, I, 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 let me give... No, 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 comrades, wait, 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 wait. Let me give an opportunity now oh, yeah. to KG because KG was trying to make a point on the line and his line was bad. Let's give him an opportunity and then we'll also uh, move together as we try and consolidate and wrap up the conversation. KG, you are in Swane. Good evening to you, man. Uh, good evening, thanks. Uh, your uh, line sounds you a lot better, man. Again. Yeah, please uh, be brief, my brother. Uh, Unfortunately, we are running out of time. All right, let me quickly, man. Like I said, I bought an AOD A5 uh, two months back and yes. apparently I found out that it's a hell of an oil guzzler. Mm. And that for factory four was actually admitted by Audi in several European countries. Now, I just want to find out what records do I have, man? Because they gave those guys that side uh, an excellent motor plane. Mm. Besides, even if after the motor plane, we are still stuck with the same issue. I don't know, was it too expensive for them to record that specific model? But they left us with a long-term, lifetime problem now. 
What's my recourse with regards to this? Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much, KG, for that question. And uh, let me bring uh, uh, you back into our conversation here, Phil, because I think you would have heard many of the questions that are being raised here, which speak volumes about the existing market structure here of the after-sales uh, sector here. And a lot of uh, seeming, I guess, uh, confusion here around what an original part is and whether an original part is only one that comes straight from the dealership. Uh, and I guess all of this confusion exists because of the kind of market structure that we have. So, so um, I'm going to defend Mike here. Mm. Um, certainly, most aftermarket parts distributors, and we are one of them as Auto Boys, uh, we carry a mix of aftermarket and, um, you know, genuine parts. Mm. Okay, but I would certainly say that the rule of thumb, or the rule, is that for any shop, whether it's a Midas, whether it's an Auto Boys, whether it's a Gold Wagon, they certainly carry a lot more uh, non-genuine parts and genuine parts. More generic okay, that, parts than genuine uh, absolutely. parts. Absolutely. Okay. I mean, that would be the... the Carrying a, a, a genuine part would be an exception rather than a rule. Mm. Okay. But having said that, um, just in terms of parts, and again, I think I'm on the same wavelength as Mike in, in, in the sense that as right to repair, we also want to advocate for the use of uh, high-quality aftermarket parts. Mm. Okay. And what a lot of people probably don't know is that a lot of the parts that... A lot of the motor manufacturers or the, or the vehicle part manufacturers, certainly the big ones that are credible, okay, they have a portion of the business where they service the motor manufacturer and a portion of the business where they service aftermarket. So if you had to take a look at the top 20 largest vehicle, vehicle component manufacturers in the world, guys like TRW, ZF, Male, 80% of their business will probably be... Um, for the original vehicle manufacturer, mm. but 20% will go into the aftermarket. And that's where a lot of the credible suppliers like like us, we keep. Mm. Okay, so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not quite sure. Um, Look, uh, I mean, I, I guess a big issue that's coming out here also is around the role of many of these OEMs right. uh, in the marketplace, right. especially in instances where people uh, have acquired vehicles which uh, continue to have all manner of faults and yet... You know, the one guy says his car was standing in Rustenburg for the last two weeks or so, and it seems that uh, the OEM and uh, the retail in this instance is none the wiser as to what is wrong with that vehicle. Right. Uh, and there's always this, uh, I guess, sense that if I took it to somebody else, they might know. Right, right. Yeah. Well, listen, I, th- I think no one, well, no company will ever not have a service delivery issue. Mm. Okay. Um, just like you can get, Poor service from an independent aftermarket yeah. uh, workshop. You can also get poor service from a uh, original uh, of course, yeah. workshop. Yeah, yeah. And you take a look at the vehicle recalls. Mm. No one's perfect. Mm. I mean, Toyota recalled a ton of vehicles for their uh, for their you know the 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 safety bags or yeah. the, and the seatbelts and whatnot. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think... Okay. Now, Mike, let me bring you back in here because I think, you know, just before we went to one of the breaks, we were making a very interesting point that uh, you also recognize how the market is currently configured. Uh, one is not only just anti-competitive, but there are some issues that uh, you as NAMSA are willing to engage on. And, and I'm quite interested to hear, uh, I guess, from your end, because from where I'm sitting, I would think that it continues to be in your own benefit uh, probably to... Uh, continue to have these kind of agreements, uh, but also from a price discovery perspective uh, to uh, potentially not go out to the marketplace and say, hey, if I've got a, a Datsun, uh, it costs so much uh, to have this kind of motor service plan for the Datsun. Uh, and uh, I mean, unless you really require it to, it probably is not in your favor to do so. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think those are some of the conversations that we now want to be able to have, uh, broadly speaking. Um, and we are now also appealing to uh, you know, our, all our members and all the brand owners uh, 
uh, to be as transparent. And I think, uh, you know, we take uh, Phil's point and many other people who have said, you know, we need transparency in the system. And, and we accept that. And I think as the industry, we are beginning to say, you know, how transparent can we become so that we can be able to make sure that each and every customer who buys a car, they understand each and every number that is on that invoice uh, so that when they sign off on the dotted line, they know exactly what they're signing off uh, towards. Uh, and those are some of the things and the conversations that we're currently having. Interestingly, I think I also need to you know, highlight this point very clearly. The Competition Commission has obviously entered into this particular conversation in a very strong way, yes. which we believe very strongly it is a necessary intervention from their side uh, to come in and say, look, we believe you, know, you guys need to start doing things differently. Uh, we've had conversations. They initially said to us uh, they would be putting together some guidelines um, you know, because they, they want to enforce. Uh, and we went back and said, look, the guidelines will not help anyone. Uh, let's go back to the drawing board and agree uh, on what is it that we need to be able to do to make sure that we've got a clear code of conduct that will help us all to be able to open up the market and make sure that those who have been historically disadvantaged, and I want to underline that, mm. those who have been historically disadvantaged are brought into uh, the automotive uh, industry. And, and, and we are working now with the commission uh, to be able to make sure that that happens. Uh, we are now rewriting uh, some of the uh, work that we've done on the, on the initial code okay. so that we can be able to make sure that we are able to uh, come to that particular sure. agreement uh, sooner rather than later. Uh, and they will not certainly be pursuing uh, you know, the initial guidelines that they, okay. they thought that they wanted to, to pursue. Sure. Let's pause this slide. I've got one of our other callers here all the way out in Mangaung. Papi, good evening to you, Morena. How are you? Hi, Abong. How are you? I'm good, thanks, my brother. Please good, go ahead. Man. Uh, listen, I know you, you don't have a lot of time, but yeah. No, brother, we still have seven minutes. We still have seven minutes. Make the most of it. Don't be like, don't be like Bafana. <laughs> I'm saying I'm very, I'm very worried about the industry as it stands. Eh? Okay. Um, particularly, um, can I give an, an account of my own? Eh? Yes, yes, yes. Please go ahead. Um, look, I was driving a VW Sirocco, mm. um, and I took it in for a ninety thousand kilometer service. Um, you know how, how they call you, like maybe like an hour later, saying that oh, we've serviced your car, we found extra items that need to be. Yes, when they give you that diagnostic to say, "Hey, we're not yeah, yeah, yeah. your throttle so, body. So There's something wrong with your say, throttle body." Listen, <laughs> listen, we've we, we've we've uh, found some nails in your tires. Huh? Uh, would you like us to remove that? Nails. And you know, man, you're thinking, man, gosh, man, I don't remember having a slow puncture or anything like that. And you're like, okay, all right, uh, okay, do it. And then they continue and say, um, we've also found some chips in your windscreen. And I'm like, okay, you know what? I, I, maybe I'm not sure about the, 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 the nails in the tire, but the mm. windscreen, I drive that car every day. There's no way. There is no way. There's no chip. There's no crack. There's nothing. And that was 90,000 kilometers. You know, I let go of the car at 175,000 kilometers and there's still no chip, no crack. Nothing on the windscreen. So it's still the same one that I was using. So it's almost as if, uh, especially, uh, look, I come across this uh, with VW and Audi. It's almost like they prey on the ignorance or the lack of knowledge of the, the customer that, oh, okay, because you don't know much about uh, uh, what, what we fix or know, know much about cars, they, they prey on that and they take advantage of the customer. So... 
Don't share another anecdote. Don't share another <laughs> anecdote. And uh, just, uh, I mean, uh, as I get you the responses of uh, Phil and Mike to that, also a tweet coming through from Clive Simpkins here to uh, uh, at uh, Metro FMSA saying, uh, aren't the, uh, I guess, these embedded agreements or consumers only locked in whilst they're under warranty? And that would seem to make sense. And uh, I guess it's, uh, I don't know if I'd call it a chicken and egg between the warranty and the lock-in period. But, uh, and then Mike, just your response, of course, to, uh, I guess, some of the unscrupulous uh, stuff that uh, Papi was speaking to there and how you come together with other ecosystem players in the after-sales market to ensure that there's a way for consumers to be able, I guess, to have uh, some form of grievance resolution mechanism here rather than, you know, come on this show and say, hey, when uh, Audi, VW, you've done this kind of stuff to me. Yeah, look, I mean, look, I have a, it's very difficult for me to, I mean, as the you know, CEO of NAMSA to defend every dealership yes, in yeah. Africa. I mean, yeah. it's not going to be possible because, you know, one thing that we, you know, we would accept is that certainly there are maybe those, you know, who may be uh, preying, you know, on poor customers out there and so on. I think what we want to obviously emphasize is that, you know, we've got an ombudsman in our, in our industry and we want to encourage all our you know, listeners to report these matters because mm. we also want to name and change uh, you know, those dealerships that are not doing well with our customers. Because if you, you know, a dealership calls you and say there's a discrepancy on your vehicle, uh, but you know, it, you know it for a fact that there was no such discrepancy when you, yes. uh, you know, handed in the car in the morning and so on. And, and also, I mean, you know, we've got technology today, you know, insist that they take a picture of your vehicle, uh, so that they send it on WhatsApp, so that you can test it yourself and see whether you know what they are seeing is exactly the same thing as they are suggesting. And mm. so on. Uh, but also, you know, to use our ombudsman. Our ombudsman has been doing fantastic work in the last five years. Uh, we want to commend their work. I think they have been assisting our consumers greatly because a lot of uh, dealerships have been called to order, and may, some of them have actually gone out of business, primarily because of the. Uh, you know the the, the, the uh, you know the, the the unfair treatment they've been given to uh, to some of the customers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, full on your end as we get some closing remarks now. Uh, I mean, I'd be interested to find out where to from here in this process that also involves the competition commission and uh, what uh, ideal outcome are you looking for uh, as a right to repair and of course also as the auto boys. Well, um, Mike mentioned that the OEs and the commission were going back to the drawing board in regards to the guidelines. Uh, that's that's news to me. Uh, <clears throat> I didn't realize that. Um, the last communication we had with the commission was that they would convert the um, they would convert the code, the proposed code, into a guideline because the parties were too far apart. Um, so all the role players they couldn't. It, it was meant to start as a voluntary code, mm-hmm. and everyone was too far apart. So the commission said, "Listen, everyone's too far apart. Let's actually make it a guideline." Mm-hmm. Okay. And we actually thought that actually worked much better because we, we've gone through the same path as Right to Repair in Australia sure. where they actually made it a voluntary code, but after five years, no one was volunteering, mm. if you know what I mean. Mm. Okay, so uh, we will obviously get in touch with the commission, but certainly we view this as an industry, as an industry initiative, and certainly um, we, this has to be collaborative. Uh, but from the right to repair side, what we want to see is we want to see consumers have the freedom to choose, okay? And even if they choose to have an extended warranty, that's fantastic, but sure. they have the choice, okay? And we certainly want there to be more transparency from the OEM side in terms of the cost of the embedded motor plan, okay? okay. And then we obviously, I think very importantly, want the training and the support 
to help build the economy, to support the SMEs, mm. historically disadvantaged, and you know just the general SME um, base because mm. it's it's super important. Sure. And, and if, we need, all need to recognize that the economic concentration in this economy is. Really, really detrimental to the future of the you know, sure. South Africa. Okay. Okay. Dr. Mike, let me give you the last word. Ivan, the industry is very clear. We, the reason why we went back to the commission is precisely because South Africa has 26%, let's call it 27.6% of unemployment in South Africa, uh, many of whom are young people, many of whom who are black. Uh, in our townships, we want to bring them into our landscape, we want to introduce programs that will help them uh, to be able to come into the, the picture. Uh, gone are the days where we have people who are going to come in and argue quite, quite very strongly and push back uh, and, 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 and uh, pretending that they are representing a particular uh, constituency and, uh, and, and, and in real terms they are they're actually not. We, we want to make sure that uh, our young people in Kailicha, in Mamelodi, uh, in Tabazindi, are able to come into this uh, space. We are going to be introducing some amazing uh, new uh, innovations in the next couple of uh, months uh, so that we can be able to make sure that we begin to skill uh, some of our young people uh, into the auto industry. We can be able to support them as much as possible as we can. It's a pity because I can't make uh, formal announcements now uh, uh, today because uh, a lot of uh, work that we are currently working on uh, is still... Uh, work in progress, and we will be making announcements. Okay. I think on the 22nd of uh, August this year, when we have the NAMSA Automotive Conference okay. in Kailami, we'll be making uh, these announcements in terms of what we are going to okay. do. No, it's fine. Don't, don't, make, don't make the announcement now. Don't make the announcement now, if you can yeah, promise no, 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 me that you will come and make the announcement on this platform. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. We'll yeah, have to leave it there. We'll have to leave it there. Mike Mabasa yeah, yeah. speaks, uh, or is the executive director and CEO at the National Association of Automotive Manufacturers of South Africa, NAMSA, uh, speaking to us uh, this evening. Big thank you to you and Dade Mike. And uh, Phil Ho is uh, CEO of Auto Boys and vice chair of the Right to Repair SA, uh, which is a non-profit company founded by the Motor Industry Workshop Association, I guess aimed at uh, trying to level the playing field there. We'll have to leave it there. We're back with you again at the same time tomorrow. Have yourself a great evening. Take strength, my Africa. I've got to be a good economy.